for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. Hi everybody. So today I'm speaking with Alice Windsor from King's College London about her research into how epilepsy affects people apart from the seizures. Alice thankfully recognises that there is a whole lot more involved people with epilepsy than their seizures alone. And so in her study, she wants to talk to people affected and to learn how doctors, nurses, uh, therapists, etc. can help us with, say, our sleep, our mental health, our digestive system, pretty much anything. If you're interested in learning more about Alice's research and potentially even taking part in it, stay tuned and do press the bell to receive notifications of the weekly interviews. Hello, Alice, Alice Windsor. Could you please tell us about yourself? Yes, of course. So I'm currently working as a research associate at King's College London on the IMPARTS project. So that stands for Integrating Physical and Mental Health Research and Training Services. So yeah, it's quite, but it's, yeah, it's very lengthy. <laughs> it's lengthy. So the, you know, the rationale behind it is really looking to bridge together physical and mental health care. And it really follows on well from my role at Birmingham where I was finishing my PhD and that was looking at sleep and quality of life in children with epilepsy so it was really it's like been a really lovely transition to still be able to continue working in epilepsy. Yeah Yeah. and now you're working with adults is that correct rather than children? Yes so half of the project is devoted to um, the adult clinical services and then the other half is young people with epilepsy so most of my work has been in paediatrics so young children but now it's more that transition service so from 13 all the way up till 25 which is I think at first it's a bit like quite nerve-wracking because I'm like I've never done this before imposter syndrome but now it's I think it's really exciting because you don't realise how different the experiences are for like, you know, the different age groups and how epilepsy impacts so differently across development. So yeah, it's been really exciting to understand a bit more about that. And how did you get into it? Why did you decide to focus on this in your career? What initially drew me to it was uh, like sleep so because it was sleep and epilepsy I really love sleep and I had a so really I. great lecturer <laughs> I know I literally yeah I love sleep I want more yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I had a really great lecturer Professor Andy Bagshaw and um I when I saw that he was advertising for this with Dr Caroline Richards I was like you know I know I want to do this it's sleep and I'd never done anything with epilepsy before and you know I believed all the myths and everything and I was like oh, and then I started it and then because my PhD involved a lot of clinical work with the families and children with epilepsy it was just so refreshing to see how you know resilient um the children were and their families and you think you know you just think epilepsy you think seizures you think medication but it ended up being this whole realm of like systemic issues so you've got the impact on social life you've got the psychological impact and so 
I think that's really why I fell in love with working with epilepsy because, you know, I don't think any day is the same. There's always something new. There's a new piece of research. And I think that's why I wanted to continue the work, really, like the dynamic nature of it, really. And what was the yeah. impact on um, actually people and families affected by epilepsy in your sleep research? Yeah, so because the main point was sleep, we really wanted to understand, you know, how sleep was affected in the children. And we know that sleep and epilepsy have, you know, quite a bi-directional relationship. So seizures impact sleep, but then you're tired, you want to sleep, but then you can't. And then that, you know, you have seizures. seizures. Yeah. Yeah. And then you think, oh, my gosh, this cycle. <sighs> um, so that was really an interesting point to see. But what was also interesting to see the impact on parents sleep. And, you know, I never thought about you know their anxieties and their worries, especially around children having nocturnal seizures right. and seeing how, you know, it impacted not just the child, but the whole family around them. And also with the children, you know, seeing the impact on their social life, because I think epilepsy is very much still stigmatized, especially at a young age. You know, children ask the question, a common theme was, you know, why me? Why have, why do I have epilepsy? And it was so like disheartening to see that that education around that wasn't implemented early on in schools, which I think is an area that definitely needs to be developed. So children know, you know, there's nothing wrong with having epilepsy there's nothing wrong with this child and i think that could really help you know children especially trying to improve that social integration what do you mean yeah. by there's nothing wrong because i tell you what as a kid i yeah. certainly experiencing seizures and even yeah. now i'd say well there is something up with my brain doing that so yeah. i just do you mean that there's nothing wrong with you as a person rather yes. than yeah. so okay because there's certainly something children, up with yeah. the brain yeah <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> um no i think really like children really react negatively to when people you know have differences and I think especially for young children their experiences with epilepsy in school is so difficult because they end up having to take a lot of time out they end up not being able to socialize because people are scared when they have a seizure and I think you know if we had that education in place so children know okay you know this is what a seizure is this is how you help you call an adult this is what they do and I think it would really help children to know that so that there isn't this fear around interacting with that person. So I think, yeah, that's definitely a, a theme that I saw a lot with the young children that we met. It is very strange with human beings so fearful. Oh, OK, it makes sense when you're fearful of things yeah. that you don't understand. But seriously, sometimes, even for children, do grow up hair, you know? Like... <laughs> Exactly. But um, the information gathered in your research, how, how was that yeah. used on, on, you know, to benefit children and families? Yeah, so the experimental design of the study was um, really collecting questionnaires from parents about, you know, various measures. It was sleep, it was neurodevelopment, it was quality of life. So, that, you know, thanks to all the families for completing so many questionnaires. I'm really sorry. Um, and they also wore an ActiWatch, which oh, yes. measures sleep objectively, which is, you know, I think now we're moving a lot towards remote devices. It was really great to have that as part of my project. And what we found really was that, Again, it wasn't seizures that impacted quality of life. It was very much sleep, but it was also um, neurodevelopmental variables. So it was autistic traits, ADHD traits. And what parents reported or what the results really suggested was that actually, you know, those neurodevelopmental traits are what is exerting a bigger impact on children's quality of life rather than the seizures. And I think 
you know, I never ever called that outcome when I first started the PhD. So it was a bit of a shock when I saw it. I was like, oh no, how do I interpret this? But I think it's been, you know, actually a great result because recently a lot of the research that's emerging in epilepsy is about that, you know, link with autism, the link with ADHD and the idea that we should actually see it as a spectrum. So we should see ADHD, autism and epilepsy as part of neurodevelopmental um, conditions rather than epilepsy separate to it. Correct. Because I think what happens is that, you know, when epilepsy is the focus and when we think about the seizures, we actually forget to look at all the other bits and look at the person holistically. So, you know, a child might present with autistic traits, but then we're so focused on the epilepsy that it's all overshadowed. And actually that can have a bigger impact because it's not being treated, it's not being intervened. And so the results were really helpful in that sense. And with your question as you know, how we helped families with this. So as I'm still writing up, that's quite exciting. Um, I'm hoping that we can publish these results and really to put it out there and then hopefully going on to host family days and, you know, having families understand that, you know, this is what is typical in epilepsy. This is common and trying to identify sources of support for them as well to, you know, I think a lot can come out with just providing information. Totally and, agree, yeah. yeah. Will your um, reports, will your papers include information about the impacts of epilepsies, of the epilepsies on um, cognitive function and mental health as well, or is that not touched? Um, so I didn't touch on cognitive functioning, um, which I wish, you know, I think would have been a really great area to look into, especially with autism and ADHD. But we did touch a little bit on parental mental health. Okay. And that was, I think, you know, I think that's an area that is sometimes, you know, we know parents' anxieties are heightened. And especially when you have a child with epilepsy, you become almost like a carer. So not only are you looking after the child, but you're looking after their epilepsy and managing their seizures. And I think we know that their mental health is disrupted, but then we don't think about, you know, how do we intervene? How do we tackle for that? Because it's shown to impinge on children's quality of life. But in terms of mental health, because of um, imparts now, it's been really great. That's really why I picked um, this role to be able to go into that field and looking at how we can improve, you know, psychological health rather than just, you know, physical health. That's so, thank you. It's so important. And also, I think even for um, clinicians who aren't necessarily yet convinced of the importance of uh, a parent's health, I think they need to see that their, a parent's health um, directly impacts that of the child anyway, because children pick yeah. up how their parents are feeling or if they feel yeah. like the responsibility for their poor mental health is theirs. So I think it's equally important to look at the mental health of the mums and the dads. Yeah, I agree completely. I think, you know, there's a lot of research that says to children when one area that they really struggle with is like parental worries. And I think, yeah. you know, as a child, when you see your parent worrying about you, you almost take on this role that you, you know, you're burdening them. Yeah, totally. And in some of the, yeah, exactly. So in some of the work I did as, as an assistant psychologist, I worked in a um, epilepsy service, which was so interesting to be able to see how, you know, I apply my research principles, but in a clinical setting. And a lot of the time children would come in and, you know, when their parents weren't there and you'd just be talking to the child a lot of the times they would say you know I don't feel like I can tell my parents these things because I don't want to burden them yeah, yeah. and I think a lot of the time the parents don't realize how 
how the, the kids can just see belatedly how they feel or yeah. even if they don't understand it completely they can understand that the person that their mum or their dad feels a you know a negative feeling because yeah. of them or because or that's what it feels like it feels like it's because of them it's not because of them yes. but it's because of what the child is going through but the child feels responsible for it and guilty for it yes. Yeah, there is a lot of, you know, complex emotions, I think, that come with epilepsy and family. And I think it's that's why I think it's so important, you know, with interventions that we don't just look at the child, but actually look at the family and how, you know, just improving parental mental health or improving parental sleep especially can have such a huge impact. Totally, totally. And so how does this relate to, because we've kind of gone back to the your study from before, how does that relate yeah. to what you're doing now? And remind us again what it's called, because I've gone and forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a... Um, so it's, yeah, so it's integrating physical and mental health care research and training services. So the Imparts project is, you know, it's an initiative that's aiming to bridge together physical and mental health care. And it's currently run by King Health Partners. So it's in various hospitals. I think it's in over 70 clinics now in other physical health conditions. So um, liver, psoriasis. And so this is the first time it's been implemented in epilepsy. Huh. And also the first time it's actually been implemented in young people. So it's all very new, very new. Um, but the most exciting thing about it is so it falls into like five arms so the first arm is collecting of routine outcome measures so that's really the main body where patients either come in into the clinics where a lot of it now is remotely so what they'll receive is a text beforehand to ask them to complete the impart survey and the survey consists of you know core questionnaires assessing anxiety depression quality of life um smoking and alcohol use so those health behaviors but also questionnaires specific to the disease so with epilepsy for example we may ask questionnaires um questions on seizures or on sleep because these are things we know are greatly affected in people with epilepsy and so when um the patient completes the questionnaire it automatically um, populates onto the clinicians the patient uh, record and the clinician can then open that up in the consultation and actually have an open discussion with the patient in the clinic about cool. you know you answered this on this questionnaire how do you feel and I think it really allows us not to just focus on the disease like said before but really to ask holistically what is happening and then um, so I said it's five arms so the second arm is about the care pathways so how we map those outcomes that we're measuring in the questionnaire to referral pathways so it means that you know patients aren't just coming in to answer questionnaires so to provide us information but actually consultants can then say you know okay so you reported you know really severe symptoms here how would you be like to refer to this service to help improve that and so it links their scores with referral pathways for them to then seek and access help so I think that's really the nicest thing about it is that I think a lot of the time in research, we gather so much information from people, but it's really putting in action things that we can use to help support them. So, yeah. It sounds like uh, by that. filling in this these questionnaires, it could actually potentially save the clinician time as well in appointments. So they don't have yeah. to outright ask all these questions. So it could be positive in terms of, of time saving. Is that right? 
Yeah, so I agree. So we know that in the long run, it will not only, you know, reduce because we know that when an individual has a physical health condition, by tackling, you know, everything else, it helps reduce any impact that could occur later on. So even though it might be lengthy in the appointment at the time, but in the long run, it means that they don't come back with that issue later on because actually we intervened with it as early as possible and then we got the support needed. So I agree with you that in the end, it would actually help save time. So what do we need to do in in order to encourage clinicians to to use this um, and put aside extra time in the beginning of the relationship with the patient? Yeah, so what's been really helpful with clinicians is actually a lot of them have been very on board with helping us determine the referral pathways right now. And so I was like, oh, this is really positive. I think as, you know, service users and patients, it's really important to, you know, actually complete the survey. I think a lot of the time we sometimes look at questionnaires and we think, oh, this is so lengthy. But it's actually to say, you know, this is going to be used in your healthcare. This is going to be not only used to provide support for you, but to personalize your healthcare and actually be heard as to what's going on with you and what areas are you struggling with and I think a lot of this project is going to involve co-producing with young people with patients with carers and so a lot of the time would be advertising you know PPI groups and focus groups and it would be really helpful if you know people with epilepsy carers would come forward and you know take part and just to literally five minutes or more just to talk about you know what areas that they want to be measured in in a clinic and what areas do they think need improving in the health services. So is it an opportunity for families to bring up things like you know uh, digestive system issues which are very common in people affected by epilepsy or you know um, personal relationships shall we say which are often very um, impacted by the epilepsies. Could they bring up things like that? Yeah, so because the survey is um, produced with young people and with carers, it means that whatever questionnaires we include, they are literally everything that people have said. So if people have said, you know, I want to see sleep, I want to see, you know, gastrointestinal issues I want to see these things measured I want to be asked about them then we try our best to cater the survey so that it best you know closely represents the views and the needs of people with epilepsy so I think you know that's the best thing about co-producing because as researchers we might know from what research says what are the most important areas but we will never know as much as someone who actually experiences epilepsy we're not you know they're the expert and we're just there to you know support their views. I think sometimes it can be challenging for people with an epilepsy or affected like families affected to know how to um, effectively communicate what they're experiencing because it can be almost like a bit of a different language used by the clinician or the researcher to that of the family. How do you overcome that? So a really good thing about imparts is that we have, so the bit about training and services of this long name. Uh, so what's offered as part of imparts before we roll it out in clinics, um, staff who will be trialing and implementing imparts in the clinic actually have to undergo a training course oh. so that they, I know it's, I think it's a really great initiative and it actually is not only about how we address mental health, because I think it's such a topic that people are scared to approach and, you know, to talk about. And sometimes you don't know whether you're going to say the wrong thing and so the course is really helpful to not only develop 
your confidence in how you ask the questions, how you go about implementing the support, but also to use the right language and to ensure that, you know, you're not offending anyone and you're trying your best to make them feel comfortable. So that's the really good thing about Imparts is the training it offers and the development as they go along um, the life cycle of the project. That's really, really good. Um, I'm thinking about just uh, how, you know, different uh, people from different cultural backgrounds as well can interpret yeah. questions in different ways. Uh, are, yeah. are those people thought of as well when it comes to this training? Yeah, so a part of that is always about the cultural awareness and that we know that mental health is, you know, perceived differently in different cultures. And it's really important to acknowledge that. So in our setup of the survey, we really thought about, you know, accessibility because we don't want to just reach a small group of people because we know that epilepsy itself is heterogeneous as a disease and all these different people experience it so there's just so much to think about and so we really want to be able to capture as much people so a lot of the times we have meetings with other clinicians and other professionals to see how we can you know reach that group of people and also be as acceptable and you know feasible in the clinic so there's a lot to th there's a lot yeah. to think about when trying to implement it but yeah that's why I think it takes you know quite a while to make sure before we roll it out that everything is right because you don't you just don't want to well you are going to make mistakes but you just don't want it to not pick up people of course yeah. and so what are the other arms of this research that you're doing just just quickly because i think we've got three left have we yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so we've got two left now. Oh, two left. OK, yeah, see, I'm already confused. Left. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, so I, honestly. Um, so this, the fourth one is self-help material. So as part of Imparts, we develop um, materials. So, for example, leaflets or along with the referral pathway that are personalised to the disease. So, like I said before, a lot of the things I've heard from a lot of families and parents of children is that they just didn't know a lot of things. And if they knew that information beforehand, actually, the journey would have been a little bit smoother for or a them. lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> literally a lot of the time so with the self-help material it's really great to have that on hand to answer any questions about the disease or just you know things that people might not have been aware of so for example sleep problems right. someone might have thought you know this is just me having a bad sleep but actually knowing that it's linked with their epilepsy it might be a bit more comforting for them totally yeah. i'm thinking back to when i was a child and a supposed adult even like it's yeah. it's you know the fact that yeah, it is being challenged by you is yes. brill but you know so <laughs> i think this should honestly what you're doing should be of you know a real of real interest to people who are a bit older because this is really inspiring yeah. and you and we know that through work like the work that you are doing and people like yourself there are going to be fewer kids and families that have to go through the challenging times in such a significant way shall we say yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, having research is so integral to just not only for researchers to develop professionally, but I think for families to know that there are things out there, that things being done yeah. to help the child. And we're trying to always find new information and new ways. And I think, you know, the best thing about imparts is the fact we have so much you know research in all these different clinics is that we've seen a template of how to set it up and so we know that we can implement something like this but also later down the line you know trying to develop interventions so you have all this information but then it's the question how do you then use it not only for referral pathways but how do you develop interventions based on what you found so I think that's you know really exciting area as a researcher to see you know wh what is next yeah 
<laughs> rather than yeah. the material, the, the data you've collected, just like, you know, getting dusty on a bookshelf. or Yes, in a hard drive. Yes, yeah, like, ooh, you know, so rather it actually is used, yeah. used in, you know, yeah. the human population. So yeah. and, and what's your next arm or the, the last arm? Oh, yeah. So hmm. the last the last arm is very much about research and clinical work. So a lot of clinical services who want to use the data can actually request to use the data through the Imparts website if they want to use it for audit purposes or if they want to use it for research purposes. So I'm very lucky to be a researcher on this project, but a lot of the times it's very clinical. Uh-huh. So, you know, if services want to use it, they can to understand more about, you know, a disease that their service is focused on. So, yeah, it's quite a dynamic <laughs> project. There's so many different arms. Yeah. So does that mean, for instance, say you have a GP who you fear or you know knows pretty much not a lot about epilepsy, <laughs> you could say... Um, we, or we could encourage those GPs to actually access this information that you're providing to learn yeah, more. So it's, yeah, we involve a lot of clinicians so that everyone is aware of, you know, imparts happening and that the service is running. And it's really helpful because it means that they can de- then tell patients when they go in the clinics, you know, actually give them that information beforehand so they're not as hesitant to complete it and things as such. That's brilliant. And do you have forms of the research that might be considering the high rate of intellectual disability amongst, you know, people affected by epilepsy? There might still be individuals in that sort of bracket who who want to complete the um, or take part directly in the research. Is there a way that they can do that? I don't know if it's a bit simpler for them to do so. Yeah, so we've been really trying to find ways to modify the survey because there's a lot of constraints with, you know, surveys being standardised across the clinics. But we've really tried to look at ways to adapt it to be easy to read, for example, or maybe having someone there. So a lot of clinics have, you know, accessibility options. So it's really helpful that if their carer is there or having someone, there's sometimes a volunteer in the clinic who can be there to help them complete it so that, you know, we're not excluding people based on, for example, like intellectual disability, because a lot of the times their experiences can be very different to other people. So it's really interesting to understand that. Yeah, it's interesting. You say they can be very different, yeah. but I don't know. Whenever I speak to people with intellectual disability or yeah. autism, assuming they're verbal, we find so yeah. many things in common. So, so yeah. many things. So yeah. I think when people with, who don't necessarily have intellectual disability, autism, etc., uh, are yeah. doing this or taking part in this research it's really important for us to know that we're also helping other people who might not have the opportunity to take part you know yes i agree and it's so you know the prevalence of autism neurodevelopmental conditions are so high in epilepsy yes. especially in children and i think you know instead of looking at them separately like you said it needs to be all considered that actually you know this might be just part of the person and we need to look at it and ascribe the same importance as we do with epilepsy yeah, yeah. you know i was speaking speaking to a neuropsychiatrist about how often people um, who are non-verbal and you know, have these intellectual disabilities they could be on like a flipping cocktail of drugs and a lot of them might these meds might be unnecessary and because it can be very difficult for them to communicate how they feel and what they're experiencing it can be just as hard sometimes to provide them with the appropriate treatment um, yeah. and the appropriate drugs. So again, that's what I think of people like this when I'm taking part in research yeah. like this. We're helping these people too, 
you know yeah almost providing I think providing a voice and I think it it's similar to anything yeah people who can't communicate you know the way they feel whether that's culturally or whether that's neurodevelopmental right. you know having someone there to provide that voice is so important I think that's why it's so great we do podcasts like, these <laughs> and, like all the things you do I'm like this is so oh, great I, think, <laughs> no, I can't take a compliment no I think it's really great Oh, cool. So what should people do if they're interested in your research? So I work with Professor Deb Powell and Professor Mark Richardson. And so we have a website for Professor Deb Powell, which is Childhood Epilepsy Research. And there we will, you know, have an information about imparts and the project and my email or just at the end of the podcast. I think my email and contact details are out there. So if people are interested in taking part in, you know, the PPI group or the focus group, please do send an email and I'd be happy to have a chat you know just to have some people really want to tell more about their experiences and you know there's no judgment it's all just an open discussion just to find out more about what we should measure in these clinics. Could you just um, just clarify to listeners in case they're not familiar with these terms what does PPI stand for and your other yes. group exactly who are the perfect people for these groups? So it's patient and public involvement group and it's very much a group of people with epilepsy or it could be patient um, carers of people with epilepsy and the age group that we're looking really is from ages 13 and above but then again you know I think it's amazing to have all of so whether it's a carer of a young person or a young child, it'd be great to have just different perspectives. And the group is there really to firstly have an open discussion about, you know, what are the challenges of epilepsy? What would you like to see measured in a clinic? So if you came in for your appointment, what would you want to talk about? What would you want to assess? And what pathway support would you want to see and you know ex exactly what is missing in the care because we're hoping to fill those gaps in and then as we move on throughout the project because PPI groups often involve you know a lot of work throughout the project and sometimes just asking your advice as to you know how do we present this research or how do we best conduct this research so it's really helpful just to have a group of people advising because you're the experts and we're just here to listen. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for listening or for watching. You'll be able to find um, Alice's contact details below this recording, whether that be podcast or video. Thank you very much, Alice. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. No, thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. <laughs> if you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>